Hello, 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 and welcome to Capital Musings, United Nations Capital Development Fund podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor in the 46 least developed countries. This season, we're focusing on the road to Doha, in line with the fifth UN conference for the least developed countries to be held in Doha, Qatar in 2022. Today, I have the pleasure to meet Afruza Tansi, who runs a social enterprise called Pratiba that creates sustainable earning opportunities for rural women in remote areas in Bangladesh. Pratiba acts as a bridge between the urban market and rural production to commercialize handcrafted items. Welcome, Afruza, to Capital Musings. How are you today? Hi, Eduardo. Thank you so much for the warm introduction. I'm doing fine. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you for joining us today. So can you describe a little bit your life journey thus far in three words and what they mean to you? To describe my life journey so far, I would firstly use the word learning. So my life has been a very learning experience because I have been growing up in the same country but in different districts and different cities. That actually was very much diverse for me to know how even inside a country, the life, lifestyle and situation can be very different for the people. That's one. The second to describe my life is eye-opening because we always start growing up with a set of norms and thoughts. But each day, our thoughts actually shed layers. And every time I got an opportunity to go somewhere, to meet someone new, to participate somewhere. And it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I could learn how think better, think more, and see things from different perspectives, similar to learning and eye-opening. The third, I would say, enthusiastic. As a young person, and also as a child, I was always very enthusiastic about everything new, about everything that I can do. I wanted to be creative and innovative. So I never think that, oh, someone should do it, but I take the initiative to do something. And I think this describes my life so far. Thank you so much for sharing learning, eye-opening, and enthusiastic. This kind of approach to life led you to start working on sustainable development, looking at the different realities that you've experienced, the differences and divergence that may occur in your home country like Bangladesh. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and why you decided to start working on sustainable development based on the three elements and the three adjectives that you've shared with us on your life journey thus far? So sustainable development is not something that we have to step out from our regular lifestyle and think about it, but it is our life. It is very much involved and embedded in our daily lifestyle. So when we think about making a difference or making our own lives improve, it actually comes in the way. So it was not initially the idea that I want to work for sustainable development, but it was my enthusiasm and empathy that made me think, okay, if I want a better world to live in, that I need to work in a way which is sustainable and which actually contributes towards the development. I never decided on working for development. It just came along the way with the enthusiasm. Tell us a little bit more about Protiba and what it means and what you do through that. So for describing Protiba, I would like to share a little life experience. 
When I started my university, I traveled from a small city to the capital of Bangladesh, which is Dhaka. And as the only daughter of my parents, always very busy with family and friends. So when I started going to university and I had a lot of extra time in my hand, I felt like I want to do voluntary work because around myself, I could see people living in slums and child labor. It was a part of the daily life of this urban city. So I wanted to work in a community development, voluntary work. So I joined a foundation. It's a nonprofit organization in Bangladesh named It's Humanity Foundation. And I joined there as a volunteer. I had zero experience actually, but since it was voluntary work, they let me do community work. And they sent me out for a research, which is to talk to community people, talk to people in vulnerable areas and remote areas to find out why they take their children out of school after a certain age. So the nonprofit organization uh, provides free quality education in remote areas. And uh, still, even if they are providing free education, they're providing meals every day, they're providing uniforms, but still the students were dropping out after a certain age. Even in 2018, there are people who think that women do not have the capability of earning. And the reason why the children are dropping out from school is because their families send them to work instead of school. And that is something unimaginable for me. I could not think that a child who is just 10 years old had to quit school because he or she has to act as an earning member of the family. So every morning, what they do is they start their morning and they go to a shop to work. And as I already said, I am very enthusiastic. So I felt like, no, this has to change. After the community research, and I spoke to a lot of families, and I asked them, why do you send the child to work? Why don't you just send the mother to work? And their reply was very shocking. The reply, most of the families replied the same, and it was that, oh, she's a woman. She cannot earn. She cannot help the family financially. So I came back to the capital city and I submitted a report of the research. So I proposed to the organization if I can start a livelihood program where I would ensure that the mothers are working so that the child do not need to go to work. And this is how I started Pratibha. Pratibha is a Bengali word and the Bengali word means talent. Why I named it Pratibha is because I didn't see there any need or any necessity for the woman to learn something new. You know, a lot of things. They're doing the chores every day. They know how to stitch. They know how to steal. They know handicrafts, how to cook, how to make pickles. They're doing it every day, daily basis. The only difference is they're not getting paid for it. Then in a professional level so that they can use the skill as an earning opportunity. And this is exactly what Pratibha does. So we actually follow a holistic approach for this. We start interventioning to our community by arranging community workshops, open discussions and awareness campaigns so that we talk to the people in the community, both male and female, and the children and the elderly about how a mother, how a woman is capable of art. So this is just the basis start a project. So through this campaigns, what we do is we remove the patriarchal mindset from the society and we ensure that every family in that society, in that community, believes that women are capable of earning. 
And then we start grooming them, providing them training, professionally developing their existing skills. Mostly the woman in Bangladesh knows tailoring, kneading, and hand painting. So we are training them on this. And then after running this project for a few years and in 2019, by the end of 2019, we need to give them a war field to utilize the work right. So people started acting as a bridge between those artisans and the rural urban markets that we have in capital and in other cities. We now act as a marketplace for artisan-made products. Thanks so much. I think it's a very descriptive deep dive on what perceived actually means talent and how you came about. It's so interesting to hear the story of how an idea came together and how you rolled it out. What really struck me from what you said was there's nothing there that you build everything from scratch. And I think it's very important in terms of the different modes of implementation that we may apply when it comes to capacities of those people that we serve. And in former instances, we used to say capacity building because we had the idea of building from scratch a little bit of capacity of those people that we may serve. Actually, right now we're developing and we're also developing a language. We no longer call it capacity building, but we call it capacity development or capacity strengthening to really nurture what's already there and to make sure that it has access to different opportunities as Protiba is doing for women entrepreneurs in remote areas in Bangladesh. So Protiba means talent. So why do you think that nurturing talents with access to opportunities is so important, especially for women and youth. Actually, the introduction that you gave right now is the answer to this question. We need to develop the capacities. So in the open discussions, when we asked the woman and the community people about what do you think are the skills that you need to be capable of earning? And most of them answered that, oh, we need to know how to use a mobile phone. We need to know how to use a computer or we need to learn accounting. But then I asked them that, why don't you utilize the skill that you already have? Why can't you just keep needing and earn money? Why can't you just keep doing handicrafts and earn money? And they do not even think that these skills actually have the capacity to be an earning source. This is how we are actually making some of the job holders unemployed because the market and the world that we are going towards, the fourth industrial revolution, everything is so much digitalized, so much virtual, so much depending on technology that the authenticity of it, the arts and the crafts and the artists, the rural artisans, they are actually getting unemployed. The art that we used to do, each and every person would have done. And we just make it once in Illustrator and we print thousands of pieces of it. Of course, it's faster and cheaper. It's more efficient. But what about the 900 other artists that you are taking their jobs from them? So I think while we are moving forward towards a world where everything is digitalized, we need to keep in mind that what about the people we are taking the jobs from? This is why nurturing the existing talents is very important. But at the same time, it is important that we ensure the marketplace for this talent is still there. It's not lost somewhere for cheaper access or for more convenience. While nurturing the talents, we need to give them some technological support. We need to 
it can be handmade, it can be handicraft, but at the same time, we can take some help from digitalized technologies, which ensures that the traditional arts or the traditional ideas still have a modern touch and it's still an opportunity for those people. We cannot leave those people behind. Thank you, Firza. And in your opinion, why do you think access to capital comes into play when supporting youth and women entrepreneurs starting off their own businesses? When we use the word entrepreneur, it means there is a business, right? And for every business, we need some capital to begin with. And if it's about youth, if it's about rural women, of course, they are not very well resourced, not in case of money, not in case of finances or logistics. So while building the capacity or developing the capacity, it's not enough. We need to give them the resources to be able to play their role. And for those resources, capital is very important because there are some resources that we initially need. And if there is a lack of capital, if there's a lack of investment, if there is a lack of finances, how can I start? I cannot go for shopping without having any money in my pocket. The access to capital is, of course, very important along with others. But I would say it is one of the key things which comes as a barrier when rural women or youth wants to do something, wants to start something of their own. And the access to capital, it doesn't always mean that there is a lack of capital. I would not say that. But, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of organizations, uh, CSR opportunities that they're waiting for people to reach out and they will be more than happy to give them the money and to give them the financial support. But what is the problem is someone sitting in a village, someone sitting in a remote area doesn't even know that these opportunities actually exist for them to start their own business. So I think here it's not only access to capital, but it's also the access to information about capital. So everyone deserves to know what are their options and they deserve to know that how to avail those options, how to avail those opportunities. It is very important for any entrepreneur to worry less about the capital, but every entrepreneur should stand strong, if not stand high. So for standing strong, we need that financial stability and that comes from capital in the beginning. Thank you, Firza. So what are the main priorities you think that we as development practitioners should be focusing on in serving the LDCs in the next 10 years? Thank you so much for the question. It's something that I have been talking about already, which is the decent employment. And with the decent employment, there should be an access to information. Because when we say that the world is digitalized, there are a lot of people using technology. Even in COVID, we could run the world depending on technology, but is it entirely true? To be honest, I don't think so. So there were a lot of my artisans who were in a very remote area and due to COVID, I could not reach out to them because they didn't have their own cell phone. Even if they had, they didn't know how to use internet on those phones. So one thing I believe that giving the priority is the access to information to everyone. And by everyone, it doesn't only mean everyone living in cities or everyone who has computers. It should be to everyone we are now leaving behind. The people living in the slums, the people living in remote areas, in islands, in the tribal communities, the indigenous communities, every community should have access to information. And that's one thing as a young person, I believe should be addressed 
And the second one I would like to give a significant importance to is health. Because by profession, of course, I'm a development worker. By qualification, I'm a biotechnologist. And during the COVID, there is a huge gap between the health service providers and the consumers. So every person who is privileged, every person who knows where to go, actually gets the opportunity to avail the health services. But someone living remote, being in rural or suburban areas, they do not have the access to hospitals. And this is very alarming. Like the healthcare givers get the support, the teachers get the support, the students get the support, and maybe the people working in that office. So we do surveys and we, we come to the result. 100% of those people are vaccinated or 100% of the people who got that healthcare service. But how, what about the people you did not even reach out to? What about the people who was not associated with any school, any government or any organization? How do you collect the data from them? How do you reach out to them with your service? So I think these are the two most important issues that should be addressed. One is the access to information to everyone and two, the access to healthcare services to everyone. Thank you so much, Atfuz. I think it really touched on a point that can help better understand what digitization means in most instances. Sometimes we may be refrained from looking at it because as you also said, that some may perceive as a challenge for certain opportunities or employment opportunities that may be left out or may be replaced by digitalizing our work. Sometimes, and even in those opportunities, really access to information and digitalization can be one of the main means to provide anyone, everywhere, access to information in order to get to have access to all the different elements that they may need and to be up to date with information around health pandemics and how to secure themselves some cures, et cetera, et cetera. It's important also to not think about digitization as replacing existing opportunities, but rather as a way to repurpose and also provide them with access to more opportunities in order to sell their work and also to have more earning and more livelihood opportunities going forward. So can you share a last message with us? You're a great example of a young female entrepreneur leading positive change for your community and beyond. So what is your message to fellow young leaders like yourself that want to engage in helping others and driving sustainable change? Thank you so much. I would like to say to be a young leader, it's very important that we feel the position of the people we are working for. We cannot just immediately start working something that is bothering me because what seems like a problem might not be a problem to someone who is facing it. For example, I knew that it is a problem if the children are going to work instead of school, but the families who were actually sending their children to school, they didn't know it's a problem. They thought it's very normal. So for every young leader, if you're working for a specific community, we need to go there, put their shoes on, put their perspective into our thoughts and feel what they feel and go through what they go through. This helps a lot to design our leadership in a way which is the most empathetic and which is the most productive. And the other thing I would say, this strategy actually helps a lot for us to engage because if someone coming from, say, England talks to me about how I should change my lifestyle for a better Bangladesh. 
I would never take that into account. But if someone from Bangladesh talks to me about how we can build a better Bangladesh together, I would give that uh, suggestion a lot more attention, right? So this is how we need to be a part of that community. We need to be a part of them to make sure that the sustainable change we want is something they feel and they believe in. And as a young person, we have a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, and a lot of, a lot of scopes to do mistakes. If a problem is really bothering you, just try to change it. Do not wait for someone else to change it. So you might not do it as a big organization. You might not just open up a social enterprise. But what you can do, you can remove that problem in a small scale, in just the family, in just the classroom, or in just a household. By that, you still make a change and you are still making a difference. And this is what is important. And it, if it's sustainable in one family, it actually carries away through the generations. And you actually did a good job. So always believe in yourself. Thanks so much for joining us today, Fuzza. And thanks to our audience for joining us on the NCDF podcast, Capital Musings. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our dedicated website, podcast.uncdf.org. If you found this episode useful, please spread the word on Twitter with the hashtag Capital Musings or leave us a review. Reviews help us and new listeners discover our podcast. So if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review. Thanks and until next time.